You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. I want to talk to you this morning. God's really been putting this on my heart for a while. I want to talk to you uh, again about peace and the peace of God that he gives us. And I don't know, I man, I've been getting so much about subjects in this realm as far as us not taking up offense or not getting, um, not moving into fear or keeping peace in our hearts or all of these different things. And and I know, and then when I listen to various podcasts, I hear, I believe the Spirit of God is working overtime to get this into the church right now because of the stirring you know, that's, that's in our, it is so easy to partner with offense right now. It is so easy uh, to get agitated, to move into anxiety or worry. And I want us to look at some verses today and probably uh, next week also concerning this because, in fact, you can, you can open your Bibles to John chapter 16 and we'll start there. Because God has provided a peace Oh, and I don't have any slides for you. So I'm going to do a lot of definitions today. So I really encourage you to get out your Bibles, get out something to write with. Um, God has provided peace for us as an inheritance. And Jesus said this specifically in John chapter 16. And we're going to look at that verse in just a minute. But he provided a peace that goes beyond Paul phrases it that it it passes or surpasses our understanding, and that's where I got this. It's peace that doesn't make any sense. It really is. It's peace that goes so far beyond our emotions, so far beyond our circumstances. We can be in the absolute worst circumstances and have genuine peace on the inside. And then we can respond and release peace, Jesus said. We can walk into a house where there's turmoil and release peace. And if the people there will receive it, peace will come to that household. And so I'm not, you know, I grew up in a generation that everything was peace, you know, peace and love. Uh, This is real peace. This is something that transforms the heart. This is not just, you know, oh, I, I just want world peace. It isn't that. This is a tranquility of heart that is, it's pretty mind-boggling. When you're in it, it's mind-boggling, which is how things of the Spirit should be. It, go, it passes our understanding. I don't get it. I've been there. I don't get why I have peace in my heart in this situation. You know, I've got all this stuff going on. And, and it's not that I don't feel it. It's not that I don't know it. It's not that I'm just hanging out, not doing anything. But you know what? I have peace in my heart and I can go forward in that peace. So it was, it, this is a peace that's, it's inward and outward. We'll look at the definition of it in just a second, but it goes absolutely, it's completely independent. Let's put it that way, of your circumstances. It doesn't come from your circumstances. We'll, we'll get there. All right. John chapter 16, verse 33 all right, Jesus says this. Now think about this for a second before we read it. So, so this is part of what Jesus delivered to his disciples the night before he went to the cross, right? This was uh, during the time uh, where they, they had what we call the Last Supper and all of this. So, so here's what they were facing, and they didn't even really know it. 
But Jesus knew they were about to come into to the most difficult experience of their life of seeing their king, seeing the Messiah, the one they'd put all their trust in, crucified and die and buried, first of all. And secondly, beyond that, they were about to come into an assignment to reach the world for him that was absolutely impossible for them to do without him, without the Holy Spirit who was sent. But they were about to come into this incredibly difficult time. And we see that after all that happened, they were hiding in the upper room, right? They, they gathered up. They were expecting to be killed by the Romans. I mean, there was, it was, could we say that was stressful, okay, for them? And Jesus, knowing that, he said a lot of things to them. But here in verse 33, he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. This is the amplified version, but this is really accurate. This peace that the Bible talks about comes from a Greek word that means peace with tranquility of heart coupled with confidence or it produces confidence. It is a secure peace. Sometimes we can be fair, have our emotions pretty calm, but we're still really anxious about what's going to happen tomorrow. And if we think about it too much, we're right back in anxiety, right? We can have, we can have things kind of under control ourselves, but we're not secure. This peace that God provides, it is, it is peace, quiet, calm, and it is confidence. They are coupled together in what the Lord gives. He says then, in the world, you have tribulation, trials, distress, and frustration. How many of you have been in the world? <laughs> okay, tribulation means extreme pressure on your life. That's what, the, that's what the literal translation of that word is. Tribulation, trials, difficulties, right? Distress and frustration. He says, you're going to have all of that, but be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. And, and the reason for that, and let me just read it from the Amplified, but be of good cheer. Take courage. Take courage. Don't. He's not saying come up with courage. He's saying take something that is offered, courage. Be confident, certain, and undaunted. Why? Because I have overcome the world. The Amplified brings it out this way. I have deprived it of power to harm you and have conquered it for you. You know, Jesus could say to us, in the world, you're going to have all these difficulties. This is the way it is, living on planet Earth. This stuff's going to be there, all right? He was honest about that. But he says, I am giving you, and, and really the, the context there, the way that that's worded, he means I am bequeathing you peace. I am, it is in my will, my last will and testament, for you, I am leaving this to you. My peace, I'm leaving it to you as an inheritance, all right, so you can pick it up and you can take it. When I'm gone, it belongs to you. It, it's not leaving the earth with me. It's left here for you to have, enjoy, and walk in. All right, and then he says, in the world, yeah, you're going to have all kinds of trouble. But be of good cheer. Why? Because I've overcome the world. Well, you know, I think a lot of people read that and they go, well, cool, Jesus, we're really glad you have overcome the world. The only way that that translates to us having peace 
if it is if the message there is I have overcome the world for you and you live and walk in my overcoming. And that's exactly what the New Testament tells us. We live and walk in the same victory that he had. And if we can enter into that in our hearts, he you know, the idea here is in me you can have perfect peace and confidence. Separate from me, you're not going to have perfect peace and confidence. But in me, when we can keep ourselves, I know that we're always in Christ. I know that he has purchased us. I know it doesn't change when we're upset. But the point is, if you can keep your head and your heart engaged with me, you can walk through tribulation, trials, distress, frustration with peace in your heart. And we know from other scriptures, you can go into a place, you can go into a workplace, you can go into a family situation, you can go into a, into a home, you can go into those situations and you can actually release the peace that I give you. And for anybody that'll pick it up, they too will have peace. Is that good? Yeah. All right. So this term peace that's used in the New Testament in particular, it does, it means this. It means an inward and outward tranquility that arises from reconciliation with God. All right. You need to get that. It's a, it's inward and outward tranquility, but it specifically is birthed out of our reconciliation with God. It is vitally tied to the fact that the relationship, think about reconciliation, it means a relationship was broken and it has now been made whole. It was broken, but now it's reconciled. It has been made whole. And the scripture actually tells us that it was the Father God himself in Christ reconciling us to him. Wasn't that we made it happen. Wasn't that we made the reconciliation take place. It was the Father in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He did all the work to make peace in that relationship, to make that that relationship harmonious. A reconciled relationship is not just one where, okay, now we're going to we're going to get along and we're not going to fight with each other is far more than that. It is a relationship that is brought back into harmony and cooperation. Okay, so the idea here is that this peace that Jesus said, that Jesus promised to us, it comes out of that reconciliation first. Okay, so as I know or you know that I have my relationship with God is whole. There's nothing on this earth that can touch that. There's nothing on this earth. There is no tribulation that can defeat that. There is no trial. There is no frustration. There is nothing that is greater than that, but we have to keep it in the center of our heart. We've got to realize this is who we are. We are reconciled to God. Everything else becomes, when we have that revelation, everything else becomes subservient to that. Everything else is beneath that. Eternity becomes sure. Eternity becomes ours. And his blessing in this life becomes sure. And that's why we can walk in security and and confidence about this. So it's this inward and outward tranquility that arises from reconciliation with God and a sense of divine favor. So when you run into a really frustrating situation 
and your emotions start to get stirred up, you start to you start to imagine the wrong future, the future that is not God's will for your life. You can stop that. And let me say this today. Does everybody in here realize you can harness your emotions? You can. I'm not talking about killing your emotions. I'm talking about not letting your emotions run your life. You were not designed for that. You were designed with a spirit that is eternally alive and the Holy Spirit lives in you. If you've made Jesus Lord of your life, you have the ability to to get on top of your emotions. You may even feel things, but you don't have to let them dominate your actions, your thinking. You can harness your emotions. And we do that by, by spending time with God, by getting into his word. But when we have this, something happens in our life, but we can step back and we can say, you know what, no matter what takes place here, I have the favor of God. And my future is so bright, I have to wear shades, okay? We can, we can look at it and we can say, you know what? The favor of God surrounds me as a shield. It's a promise to me from one far greater than whatever's causing the turmoil. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Okay. I thought you were there. I just wasn't sure for a second. So this piece is not, it's derived from those two things knowledge of your reconciliation, the reality of reconciliation with God and a sense of divine favor. It does not derive from or is not birthed by peaceful circumstances. And that's so important because if we're just living there and a lot of us, a lot of Christians do, and it's, it's like as long as things are going well, I have peace. When things go badly, I don't have peace then we're not tapping into this piece. That's the point. That's not a condemnation. We've all been there. We all still get there from time to time. But it's important to know something better than that has been left to you as an inheritance. And you can take hold of it. Okay, you can take hold of it. We're going to talk in some practical terms about this. So I just want to touch on a couple scriptures, scriptures, out of Philippians, if you want to turn over again to Philippians chapter 4, we'll probably dig into this more uh, in the next week or so. But I just want to read through a couple of verses here. Again, just see the promise. And we're going to go over to the book of Psalms and look at some real practical truth there. Because we need practical truth about how to keep our peace. Because it will be challenged over and over and over. Jesus made that clear. In the world, you're going to have all these negative things. They're going to happen. But be of good cheer because I have overcome the world, right? So over here in Philippians 4, the, Paul wrote the book of Philippians from a really ugly situation in a Roman jail cell. And it was there were different kinds, of, and he was in jail a few times. Uh, and he wasn't always in this circumstance, but when he wrote the book of Philippians, he was in a dungeon-type jail cell, and you can still go there. Uh, there, are, there are, I mean, not, you know, as a prisoner, but, you know, you can still go there and visit these cells, and uh, they were underneath uh, this, I don't know what the right term for it is, the palace, the guard, play, I don't know, but it was this facility and they were way down below, and they would just go ahead and let the sewage 
the Romans had sewage systems and they would let it flow through those cells. So there were times where those guys were standing in there up to their ankles, up to their knees in sewage flowing through. It was a bad place. It was not your typical white collar uh, prison that we might have today. And from that place, Paul wrote the book of Philippians that over and over and over talks to us about how to have joy in our lives, how to be filled with joy, filled with peace. It's, a, it's amazing when you know where he was standing uh, that he wrote this book. But in Philippians chapter 4, I'm just, we're just going to look at a couple verses beginning with verse 4. And again, I am going to be reading from the Amplified. So he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. That's an instruction. That that is something, that word rejoice is, it's something we do on purpose that is fueled by our understanding that we are reconciled with God, that we have the favor of God, that we, that is fueled by our salvation, is fueled by the, the spiritual fruit of joy at work in our lives. But rejoice, joy is one thing. It is something as we spend time in the Lord and we let his life flow through us, joy arises in our heart. Joy isn't happiness. Joy is bigger than happiness. It supersedes happiness. It is a, it is a, uh, a, a glad, delightful view of life and eternity that, again, surpasses our understanding. It goes beyond. It is a fruit of the Spirit. But rejoicing is to choose to release joy. To choose, and, and I love the way it says this, Again, I like the Amplified Bible. It does a lot of work for me. Uh, Rejoice in the Lord always. Delight, gladden yourselves in him. Gladden yourselves in him. Gladden yourselves in him. That's something we can do. It's something we can choose. All right, and my mind immediately goes back, of course, to the story of David when he and and all of his guys uh, were out doing what God had told them to do. They got back, enemy had come in, burned their camp, taken all of their stuff and their wives and their children. And it, the, you read through that story as it went on, they mourned first and then the, the guys got started getting mad at David. But it says, David, I lost the word. David encouraged, thank you, dear. Encouraged himself in the Lord. And then they were able to go on and get everything back. But the first thing he did, they did mourn for a bit. But then David, it says, encouraged himself in the Lord. This is kind of the same idea. Rejoice in the Lord always. Gladden yourself in him. Go from being sad to glad in him. We can't just, we're not talking about just twisting our, okay, now I'm going to be glad. We're talking about in him, spending that time looking into him. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal things that he's already spoken to you again and again, or to say something new, but to bring revelation to your heart and something new will rise up on the inside of you. We can gladden ourselves in him. It uses the word delight here, which we're going to look at. The Bible talks all through all through the scripture, especially a lot in the Old Testament, about delighting ourselves in the Lord. Delighting ourselves. And it means enjoy God. 
look to the Lord to where you're enjoying him to the point that all of this gets put in its right place. All of this stuff, because yep, you're going to face tribulation, but you can always delight yourself and gladden yourself in the Lord. And so he says it twice, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He says, and I want to get into this next week, I think, because it's kind of a big subject, but let all men know and perceive and recognize your, the Amplified uses the term unselfishness here unselfishness. A lot of the uh, translations use the word gentleness. The idea here truly is one of unselfishness and being considerate of others. And he's saying in this situation, so here's, there are things coming against your life. You always have the choice to turn inward and become, you could turn inward and become selfish. You can start to protect yourself instead of becoming more generous and opening up and knowing God's so big in me, I can pour out in the face of this problem. So often the answer for us is to give into the face of the problem. When if lack is bringing pressure into my life, so often the Lord shows me a place to sow seed, shows me a place to give. If I'm feeling lonely, the Lord shows me a place to give away friendship to give away relationship. God rises up in the face of things and and goes at them, not just rebuking them, but sowing. It's this sense that, you know what? God is so much bigger than this situation that I can pour out into it. It is not regulating my life. I'm actually giving in a way that is against what's trying to bring pressure into my life. Does that make sense to you? So he says, let your uh, let everybody be able to perceive, recognize your unselfishness, your forbearing spirit. That means patience with people. That's what forbearance is. Patience with people and forgiveness. All right, a couple more verses. He says, do not be anxious or worried about anything, but in everything, every circumstance and situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, continue to make your specific requests known to God And here it is, and the peace of God, that peace which reassures the heart. We need that. My heart needs reassurance, Lord. That peace which transcends all understanding, that peace which stands guard over your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus is yours or will be yours. All right. So I'd like you to go over to Psalm 37 and let's just go through some some practicals on this. Psalm 37, we're going to begin in verse 4. I'm going to give you a lot of definitions here. So again, I really encourage you to write down as much as you can. Probably uh, listen to the podcast again when it comes out. Psalm 37. Um, Actually, I'm going to, I think this psalm so defines the time that we live in. I'm going to back up to verse 1. Psalm 37. Let's read from verse 1. Let's start out here in the NIV, but then I'm going to change over. So it says, Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. This is going to be repeated over and over and over uh, during the beginning of this psalm. Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. Those are two ideas when. There are people bringing wicked schemes to pass. It will always be that way until Jesus comes back. Okay, we are going to face this. 
So here we are, and we are looking out, and we are seeing ungodly people in charge. We are seeing ungodly people bringing about ungodly things. And, and that can be in any area. This can be, you know, you might be related to these people. You might, uh, you, you might be dealing with things that are influencing your children. You might be dealing with uh, political policies. You might be dealing with world governments. You might be dealing on any level. There will be, it might be somebody you work with. It might just be somebody you work with. And it seems to you they're just getting away with it. They are just getting away with it. A long time ago, and I was moved one of the time I was moving furniture, working at a place in Albuquerque, and there was one kid there. It was the boss's kid, so you can figure out from there. So all of us are working our tails off, and this guy got away with murder all the time. Just didn't work. Hid out. He'd hide, you know, while we were all working. Things like that. You probably all worked with this guy. And and just got away with this because his dad was the boss. Well, you know, it leaves you with a decision. This is the way it is, and I'm not responsible for him or for what he does. What I'm responsible for is the work that I'm supposed to do and my place and and what God has set me there to do. So I need at a point to, I, I can't, fret about that, where I can't get anxious and worry and frustrate. I can't let that dominate my life. That is not who God has called me to be. And you know what? In the big scheme of things, it doesn't make any difference. It doesn't make a bit of difference. I mean, here I am 30 some years later. I I have no idea where this kid, he's not a kid anymore, is what he did, whether he took over for his dad. I have no idea and it has no bearing on what God has called me to do but me doing a good job in that situation and keeping my heart right and serving the customers that did matter and that does matter does that make sense to you so so you can you can get you can fret about it or you can get envious you know well how come they're getting everything how come everything seems to be working for them though both of those roads are absolute traps for the believer And they are absolute, man, you want to lose your peace, you start going down that road. So he says, don't fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like the green plants, they will soon die away. This is God's, and you know what? From a New Testament perspective, God doesn't want anybody, wicked or not, he doesn't want any of them to to wither away and to die and to end up separated. He doesn't want them to end up in the fire. He wants every one of them to end up with him. He wants every person to come to repentance and come to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so that's the attitude and that's the, that's the um, priority that, that we need to carry. Verse three, he says, trust in the Lord and do good dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. From the Amplified, it says, trust, lean on, rely on, be confident in the Lord and do good. So shall you dwell in the land and feed surely on his faithfulness and truly you shall be fed. That for me has been a huge verse over the years uh, that the Lord has brought me to over and over and over again. And the first thing he showed me from that is that anything I'm going to do that's good has got to flow out of trusting God. If I'm just doing it on my own 
it's going to fall short. If I want the life and anointing in anything I do, he says, trust in the Lord and do good. Trust in the Lord. Put your confidence in him. And then in any situation, you can be producing good. You can be living for him. And then it goes on and it says, if you just do that, don't get caught up being envious of this guy. Don't get caught up being mad at these people. Don't get up, don't get all frustrated and in turmoil about what's going on in the world. Instead, trust in the Lord. Let life flow out of that. That's how you can dwell in the land. I just want to talk about that for a second. The Lord has used that verse. He used it, I think, first for me personally. I think when we were living in Durango, and we were young and we were broke and, uh, you know, it was hard to find work and not as hard to find housing as it is now, but to, but to find housing, all those kinds of issues. And the Lord said, if you'll just trust in me and do what I show you to do, trust in me and, and produce good, be good at your job, be honorable toward people, do the things that I'm instilling in you. If you will just do that, you will be able, while others have to move away, you will be able to dwell steadily in the place that I have set you. And it says, and feed on his faithfulness. I love that. And it says in that place, if we will, we can live this secure life while everything's going nuts around us, we can live a secure life in him and we can just feed on his faithfulness. We can rejoice day after day in the faithfulness of God and and how steady he is to take care of us. And we don't know where it's going to come from next week or next month. We don't know how we're going to pay the next the next rent, and yet we do. And yet he provides it. It comes. And it's there and and we get to live, we get to eat, we get to live a life that's way better than we deserve, way better than, you know, than, than should be in the natural. We get to live, it's dwelling in the land. You get to dwell in the land, not just, not just stay in town, but dwell in the land, enjoy the fruits of the land, you know, by feeding on his faithfulness. And it says, and surely you will be fed. In other words, he will take care of you and your needs if you take that posture and you live in that place. And you can live in situations, I think we're all living in them now, where there are lots of hard things going on. And we're able to minister into some and not into others and that kind of thing. There are lots of reasons all the time to either get nervous or feel bad for somebody or whatever. That's all there. But we can we can continue to dwell and feed and thrive and walk through that with joy and gladness in our hearts. Does this make sense to you? What a powerful verse. I mean, this is just, for me personally, this has just been a big one. So let's look at a few verses here. And um, beginning in verse 4, I really want to give you uh, some of what it says here. Verse 4 begins to tell us how to do this. And it says, here it is, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires and secret petitions of your heart. I think a lot of times we think of that only as if I'm good or if I, uh, you know, I do what God wants me to do, then he'll give me the stuff I want. That's really a very sad translation of this. He's saying he wants us to delight. This word delight 
It means to take delight in God. Be sure that you are taking time to enjoy God and remember what he has done. Write down your testimonies. Remember, enjoy, delight yourself in him. We can always do that. But this word also means in the Hebrew to be easily molded by him. It actually literally means to be delicate. So it means you're easily shaped by him. You have that that humble spirit. You you are you're delighting, you're enjoying him and all that he is and all that he does, but you're also easily molded by him. That is a place where he can, what he does is install different desires in your heart and then brings them to pass or brings you into them. He will author new desires in your heart. I think this is one of the most wonderful things about being a believer is that if you will just yield yourself to God and stay teachable and yield and moldable, he'll change your heart. So you're not fighting to resist things all your life. The things that he doesn't want for you, you don't even want them anymore. He puts his desires in you. don't even want that. And you want this over here that you never thought you'd want, but it's God's heart and God's desire for you and for his plan for you. So he, you delight yourself in the Lord. He gives you the desires of your heart. The next verse, verse five says, commit your way to the Lord. The Amplified says, roll and repose each care of your, Lord, of your load on him. Trust also in him and he will bring it to pass. This word commit or commit your way to the Lord, it means to permanently roll your, your plans, your intentions, your direction in life over on God. It is the picture in the Hebrew of t- rolling a large stone to a new place so that it's resting on a new place, but it's a large stone. It's not going to just kick, get kicked around. It gets rolled over and there's weight deposited on a new place. And it's talking about, it says, commit your way to the Lord. So the word commit means we are binding ourselves to a decision. We are binding ourselves. It's almost a covenant word. I am committing. I am binding myself to this course. And it it says, commit your way. So that term way, it, it means a path. So it's not just, okay, Lord, I see that you want this for, I know that you want me to have strong relationships, or I know that you want me uh, to have this kind of business or whatever it might be. And so we can commit ourselves to that end, to that end, I'm going to say a blessing, to that end that, that God would bring us to. And that's one thing. This is saying commit to the path, commit to the steps between here and there even when you know God's taking you there. And as I was meditating on this again this week, I was thinking about that. There was a point in our life, we were living in Durango. We knew God was calling us to the ministry. And then at a point we knew he was calling us to ministry on the Western Slope. At that time, uh, we didn't know exactly what that was going to look like. 
And we really thought it'd be in the Four Corners area because that's where we were and where we were ministering along with other people and stuff. But there came that point in all of that where, so we have this in our heart, we've yielded to that, which took a little bit of coercion on God's part. Yielded to, you know, being in full-time ministry. And, And all of that, we're embracing that, we're giving our life to that, yielding to, it being in a what at that time was a very spiritually dead area, very difficult area. People, ministers came and went, came and went. Gave ourselves to all of that. And then God comes along and says, specifically to me, I, you know, and to us, but Karen was more willing, uh, I want, you got to go back to Believer Center. And it's like, okay, God, this makes no sense to me. You're telling us you want us to minister here, but you want us to go live in Albuquerque. And he said to me specifically, you cannot do here, meaning the Western Slope, what I need you to do here from here. You have to go there first. So so it was a commitment to the path. The path didn't just go this way. It, It went that way. And then nine years later, this way. So it was a commitment to the steps that God had. If we had just stepped out at that time, and we'd already been to, we'd completed about, I don't know, a third or half of our Bible school. We were still in school by satellite anyway. Um, you know, we'd been in a good church for quite a while. We had a lot of stuff we were sharing. We were helping lead worship. We were doing things in a church. We were doing all this stuff. So, I mean, we could have stepped out and done something. It would have been a disaster. It would have been an absolute disaster. And we never would have gotten where God wanted us to be because we would have missed all the steps. <laughs> Nine years of steps. Nine years of stuff that he really needed to change in our hearts before he turned us loose on people. You, you know, you, whatever you think of it today, it would have been really bad then. Um, so that's what this commit your way to the Lord. It's committing to the, to the journey, not just, you know, it's committing to the path, to the steps, to the direction that he has for us. So many times we want whatever's at the end of the road, whatever he's shown us, but we want to do our own thing to get there. We want, we just, we want to do what we want to do. We want to do it our way because sometimes committing to the path means there's going to be some uncomfortable times in that almost certainly there are going to be some uncomfortable times in that path and uh but that's you know that's part of it um write this down second timothy chapter one second timothy chapter one verse 12 okay second timothy 1 12 this is another great verse did you notice how many great verses there are in the bible paul says He says here, I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. I'm not ashamed. He's talking about, you you can pick up the context. You know, there's a lot that he's talking about. He's suffering. There's all this going on. He's experiencing all these things. But he says, you know what? I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. Paul's talking about his ministry. He's, he knows he's going to be 
executed at some point here. And he's saying, you know what? I'm in jail here. I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. I know the Lord and I know his faithfulness. And he says, I am absolutely convinced that he's able to guard what I have committed to him. So in other words, I, I mean, if we commit something to the Lord, we put it in his hands and he can guard it. If we refuse to commit something to the Lord, I, you know, I think, I'm not saying God would let people fall. He'll find another way to reach people or, or something like that. But if we're not committing things to the Lord, we're kind of taking them out of his place to guard. All right. Paul says, I'm convinced he's able to guard. He's able to keep safe what I have committed to him. It's so important. If we're going to walk through stuff in this earth and maintain peace and stay on track, stay on course, not get pulled aside by every silly thing that happens on this earth. Some of them are not very silly, but in the scheme of eternity, we've got to stay on course with the Lord. And that means committing things to him. When we can't see how it's going to work, when we're not sure people are going to follow through, when we're not sure, you know, we had one idea and now it doesn't look like it's going to work that way. The key is committing to him and letting commit the things that he has put in your heart, commit them to him. And he's able to guard those. That makes sense to you. All right. Um, let's see, what do we got? A few minutes left. You still with me? Okay. Verse 6, he says, he will make your uprightness. This is back in Psalm 37, by the way. He will make your uprightness and right standing with God go forth as the light and your justice and right as the shining sun of the noonday. Now we could spend a lot of time on this. Uh, just the gist of it is, you know, because it says here, he'll make your righteousness, your the rightness of your cause go forth. So this is another trust place that when, you know, this has to do a lot of times with trusting God with your reputation. You know, with trusting God with, you know, well, people are, you know, people are criticizing you. People are attacking you. People are coming at you. Things are happening. And it says, you know what? I will make, I will, God will make the rightness of your cause to shine forth like the noonday sun. Now, that gets tricky because it's easy for us to say, see, I'm right. God even said it. I'm right. We need to be sure we have things committed to him at this point. We need to be sure we're on the course with him. Okay. Given that, he will take the responsibility to guard your reputation. Things may happen around you. We've had things happen at work. We've had things we've had, I mean, especially after being the ministry, we've had people say all kinds of things that weren't true about us. I'm not going to run out there and try and justify all of that. I'm not going to run out there and try and defend myself and, and, and uh, you know, try and get rid of rumors or whatever. That's not my job. In the long run, the Lord will, his justification is sure. His justification will, uh, it's self-evident. When God's blessing and favor is on your life, you can go on and stay on course. God's justification is sure. Self-justification almost always leads us into 
some kind of deception and delusion. It leads us, it, it again, it focuses inward. Is this making sense? Am I just talking in circles here? This is, again, a big scripture, and it's it's really important. And, and Paul writes about this in in uh, 2 Corinthians, in chapters 10, 11, 12, there are all these guys coming along behind him. He calls them thorns in his flesh. And and they were coming behind every place he went, and they were coming in and attacking his ministry. As soon as he'd go to another community, they're attacking his ministry, and they're trying to pull everybody back into Judaism and all this stuff. They're saying, oh, he's not a real apostle. Oh, he can't even speak. Oh, he's nothing. Yeah, he writes good letters, but he's nothing in person. And all this stuff, attacking his reputation, and he has to, he goes through his, all of his emotions in those chapters, and he has to trust God to keep his reputation and to, and, and to keep what he has committed to the Lord. So this is, this is just something that we run into. Verse 7, I just want to get through this. Verse 7 says, be still. This is a good one. Listen to this. Be still and rest in the Lord. Wait for him patiently. Lean yourself upon him. Fret not yourself because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked devices to pass. So again, we're looking out and we're seeing people that are not walking with God at all. And man, it seems like they're doing great. And we can get really irritated by that and it'll take us right off track. But he says, be still, be still. That phrase, be still, means this. It means to refrain from speech. To be silent. In other words, shut up. Okay? Close your mouth. Don't say what you're thinking about saying. In this day and age, we have to say, lift the fingers off the keyboard. Okay? Don't respond to that text. Don't respond to that post. Don't respond, at least not right away. Maybe God will give you something to respond. But if we're just reacting to these things, it means be still. It's the first thing he says, refrain from speech. And that is hard. But if you're going to keep peace in your heart, you've got to learn how to refrain from speech. Don't talk back. Don't don't get into all of that. Don't take any action until you know the heart of God. And that is not easy. At least it's not for me. It's it's uh, I think that takes a lot of discipline. Okay, it says wait patiently. That actually means to spend time whirling and dancing with the Lord. It's a Jewish thing, okay? Uh, Whirling and dancing with the Lord. Be caught up. Again, it puts us back. Okay, shut your mouth and then get back to this place of rejoicing in him. Get back to this place of being caught up in him to the point where it just overrides the anxiety, the frustration. And then it says, Fret not, that means don't let anger settle in. If it, it's, it's a picture of getting hot, getting hot with anger, glowing with anger. It, it says, don't be vexed, right? And it used the word vexed. If it didn't hear, it did in uh, some of the other um, translations. I was just looking to try and find the word vexed. Anyway, that's what it means. And vexed means, are you still listening? I know I'm giving you a lot of this. It says, don't be vexed, which means annoyed, frustrated, or worried. The term vexed in the Bible means that something 
frustrates you or makes you mad to the place where you get marked by it. There's this picture of being marked by it. In other words, it's something I'm going to carry out of this situation. I'm so frustrated about the situation around me. I'm so anxious about the situation around me that it marks me. It becomes visible. It becomes something that people can see in my behavior. I go out of this situation and I carry that vexation, that annoyance, that frustration with me. I talk about it. I tweet about it. I I put it out there. I carry, it can become a blemish in my life. He says, don't fret. Don't allow that kind of anger to settle in, even when it looks like wickedness is prospering in its way. Okay, here's the last one. All right, verse eight, cease from anger, forsake wrath, fret not yourself. Why? Because it tends only to evil doing. Listen to this one. The word cease is a picture of somebody relaxing their hand and letting something drop. Okay? Letting something drop. So something happens. We hear something. Somebody says something. The Lord is saying, let it go. Let it drop. Did your mom ever used to tell you that? Drop it. I used to get that quite a bit. Drop it. Leave it alone. Move on. You don't always have to have the last word. We see that online all the time. There are people that they've got to come back. They've got to come back. Some, sometimes, I'll admit, I have put something else out just to see if they had to come back. And they would. Her dad used to have a Britney Spaniel that had to have the last word. And if you were telling her not to do something, she'd, she'd always have to give you a little oof. And he'd say, Patty, Stop it. And she'd just keep doing it for as long as you said something to her. She had to have the last word. This cease means drop it. Walk away from it. Okay? Pick your battles carefully. There are things that are just not worth what we give them. Okay? The word forsake means to move to another location or focus. means abandoning your anger. You're walking away from it. All right? And then... Fret means to give yourself to worry that increases to anxiety, blame, and anger. And the Lord says here, all of that only leads, only leads to evil doing. It doesn't go anywhere good. It just doesn't. It doesn't go anywhere good. And it certainly doesn't lead to the peace of God that passes all understanding in our hearts. And I just, I don't know. I mean, I've got a list of things here and we can go through them another day, but, you know, we've got to be able to be quiet. We've got to be able to let things drop. We've got to be able to discern. Is this really important enough to deal with? Because there are things that you have to be involved in, but you can be involved in them with peace. You can be involved in them from a different place. we've, We've got to take time in our lives to spend with the Lord, to delight ourselves in him, to to whirl and dance with him. I'm not much of a whirl and dancer, but you know, in my heart, I can do that with God. I can get filled with the joy of the Lord and rejoicing in what he has done. And these are real things that will change our lives. We can sit here in church and we can talk through the list and we can all nod our heads, but if we do not stop what we're doing and, and put these things into our life, 
we're going to live just like the world is. And we're going to have just as much anxiety and worry and everything. And that's a shame because we need to be the people that can carry that peace and give it away to other people. You know, we started here and I'm quitting um, just during our prayer this morning. Those two words kept coming up in me. An outpouring that produces an overflow. An outpouring that produces an overflow. And that was my prayer for you, is that you receive an outpouring of his spirit that produces an overflow. An outpouring of his peace that produces an overflow. We We can carry that peace into the world around us that is just freaking out. Not everybody's going to receive it. Jesus made that clear. But for those who do receive it, they can have peace in their heart. Let's stand up and pray. Did you get anything out of this? Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Father, I, I love your word. And I know that your word is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It can penetrate deep into our hearts. And Lord, I believe that the scriptures we've read this morning are full of life and that they produce life in us. And Lord, especially for anybody here, anybody listening to this online, Lord, that has lost that place, that that place of peace in you, and that place of being able to delight in you. Lord, the only reason we lose that is because we let all the stuff become bigger than you. So I, I, my prayer this morning for all of us, Lord, is that we are able to Put the stuff, put the, the, the voices, the arguments, the circumstances back in their place. Jesus, you said you have overcome the world with all of its struggles and temptation and pressures and frustrations. You have overcome and you have called us into that overcoming life. So, Father, I pray for every one of us in this room. We're able to live there carry it to others, release it to others. For anybody who's struggling in that place this morning, I just pray, Father, that once again, as they look to you, they are lifted back up into the place that you have for them. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's be dismissed this morning on the count of three. I know there's goodies out there as always. I hope you will take a little time to love on each other, not frustrate each other. Okay. Let's say this, one, two, three, Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.